Welcome to Bite My Tongue, the podcast where we invite our fave people from the creative industries to tell all on the topics we're so used to biting our tongue on. Today we are joined by Janessa Williams, who is a music journalist, as well as dipping into some other areas as well. And we chatted about modern music criticism and stan culture. And I really enjoyed talking to Janessa. I think you agree, Izzy. Definitely. She's the sweetest and um, just like a breath of fresh air, you know, just like um, just only has nice things to say, really, and just had has had such cool experiences considering she's so young. And like I was just in awe of like all the people she said that she's interviewed and stuff. Um, and we talked a bit about like ultimate people she'd want to interview and I could just see it happen. Like I was just like, yeah, I also need it to happen. Like what you said yeah. about a breath of fresh air Mm. I am going to be real and I say this you know with bated breath biting my tongue (laughs) of that I think I have felt like a lot of music journalism has been inaccessible in the sense of that like can be very pretentious Mm. and the thing about Janessa is that she is a genuine fan but she doesn't make that like part of like an elitist yeah. or an exclusive approach to her writing I find her writing so accessible in terms of just like anyone can sort of read in you don't need to be an obsessive it's just yeah. so easy to tap in and yeah I need her I mean we'll talk about who she wants to interview but I need her to interview those people because mm. I know that it would make such enjoyable reading sort of yeah thing it's so true what you said about accessibility and I always feel like that's actually a more impressive style of journalism in that you're not kind of throwing in like these like big jargon words that no one like understands like you're actually able to uh write with a high amount of insight but still make it like easy as you say for anyone to understand like I always find that more interesting and impressive than like the other shit yeah (laughs) the other shit yeah because I know that accessibility is a bit of like a roll your eyes buzzword and we Mm. talk a lot about it but it's because it's like prevalent and I think because it needs to re-enter the conversation with things of like music journalism and the idea of that you know when I'm reading a piece by Janessa it's not using her as like the hinge of it where she's putting herself forward as the main character of it it's just very genuine questions about someone's work like really interested in what the artist is creating Mm -hmm. um not falling into like clickbait traps but also still interrogating them on like the big topics but yeah not as like a hatchet job trying to catch out just Mm -hmm. being like I really want to have a productive conversation with someone about their work and the culture surrounding their work so yeah I really enjoyed chatting to Janessa just as like a fellow writer I think exactly. people can have so much to learn from her and her approach yeah and yeah it's really like funny episode like we talk about like what our fandoms would be called and stuff um so oh my God. <laughs> we won't give it all away but um we hope you enjoy it and definitely go and check out Janessa's work as well after the episode. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Bite My Tongue. Um, again, it's me, Faz, joined by the lovely Izzy. Hi, Hello, Izzy. everyone. <laughs> and <laughs> this week, we've got the fabulous guest, Janessa. Hi, Janessa. Hi, I'm fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. That's always a nice way to be introduced. Of course, you are fabulous. I mean, thank you. For me, this is a bit of a weird one for me because I have followed. I followed your music blog back in the day. Um, so so weird. <laughs> so weird. I, I mean, cool, but you know, weird. Yeah, I don't mean to sound <laughs> creepy. Like I've been following you all this time, but no, I remember. <laughs> reading your posts about like um taylor swift beyonce paramore all that sort of thing um and that would have been like 
seven years ago. Longer than that even, I reckon. I mean, I started that blog when I was 16, I think. 14, maybe. Um, Like, a long time ago. It doesn't actually exist anymore because, weirdly, the domain got bought out by Adidas. Like, when I wasn't Oh, my God. So if you actually look it up now, it's like a weird, like, secondhand Adidas, like trading site so yeah it was a, a long time ago so yeah the fact that you remember that at all and that you actually read it is a bit of a mind blower but very nice <laughs> I mean it was wild for me then like years later you know following like Penny Press the zine online and then being yeah. like hold on I think I follow <laughs> the founder of this but for our listeners that don't know and I'm not gonna try and do it justice would you just like to to introduce yourself and yeah give the whole soundbite of who you are the whole soundbite of who I am sure so um I guess the best way to describe it is that I'm a music journalist freelance music journalist first and foremost um I write for the NME the 45 DIY Guardian all sorts of places really mostly around music although I do also do some other journalism for Reader's Digest and some other places but Um, Music is definitely my main focus. I'm also a PhD student doing a uh, big media study on music fandom. Um, I also run Pennycress, as you mentioned, which is a zine celebrating creatives of colour in the Yorkshire and kind of North England region. But again, lots of that does tend to come back to music. Like, whatever it is, I just can't seem to get away from music. And I guess that's kind of the main focus of what we're going to chat about today, right? Yeah, we're going to chat about, like, the intersections of, like, music criticism and fandom sort of thing. And when sometimes, yeah, you're you're a bit hesitant to say something. You kind of want to bite your tongue or you want to you know you you have a passion for music but you're afraid of like what fandoms might think or what musicians themselves um how they could respond sort of thing so Mm. that's what we're gonna chat about and we're gonna yeah we're gonna see how it goes but you've always been so passionate about music how was that transition of like being a music lover to then wanting to pursue music criticism yeah actually write about it yeah well I think I was quite lucky in the sense that I was pretty young when I realised that I kind of wanted to be a music journalist. I think I was actually about 11 or 12, which sounds a bit mad, but like from a tiny, tiny age, I always bought Top of the Pops magazine and then, you know, that became Enemy and Kerrang! every week. Um, And I knew quite early on that it was something I wanted to do. I wasn't really musical myself, like I couldn't play anything. but I really liked being in those spaces. And I guess writing was a way to kind of be in those spaces without actually being a musician. So I was constantly filling notebooks, writing reviews that then became blogging when blogging was a thing. Obviously being born in the nineties, I'm kind of the perfect age to have really like got on board with like MSN blogs and AOL blogs and stuff. So it kind of all just came from there really. Um, when I was 18 I went to University of Huddersfield and did a music journalism degree was freelancing that whole time and just sort of never stopped like I'm 28 now and I feel like in the last year or so I've kind of got myself into a position where I actually finally feel like a proper music journalist in the sense of like kind of having stuff in really visible publications and being really lucky to speak to loads of people whose work I really love but it has been yeah like when I think of it like that like the best part of 12 to 15 years (laughs) like it is a bit mad um it's been a long journey and that started were you like writing you know in your journals and blogging about sort of fandoms that you're a part of and you know the artists that you loved yeah completely so I was the biggest McFly fangirl in the universe I mean if we actually cycle it all the way back I think my first fandom I can vividly remember being six years old my mum picking me up from school with the new S Club 7 album and I can remember that being like a huge deal at six so it was S Club and then S Club 
turned into blue I remember having a big blue period yep all rise um and then blue (laughs) blue became busted um busted became McFly and then I would say McFly was kind of like the real like fandom fandom and then kind of from them I moved to like Arctic Monkeys, some of the more like kind of, I suppose like traditionally indie stuff or like stuff that maybe gets treated as a bit more like critically credible stuff. Um, But again, like I'm sure we'll talk about this, like I'm a huge advocate for like no fandom being an embarrassing fandom. Like I still stand behind that McFly fandom now. I don't think it's embarrassing at all. Like they're still great songs. They're still a really good band. Um, so yeah I think I can kind of like map my life through certain bands in a strange kind of way of course I you shouldn't be embarrassed about any fandom I'm with that I mean I used to be a directioner I mean where is where is the shame in that there is none like there's a reason they were the biggest band in the world for like the two-year period that they were like they were great Mm yeah I was a big fan I was a big fan um but I think it's difficult when you are a fan of like being so obsessed with that artist and being so yeah um just in love with them I think you can get very defensive and I think fandoms can have a bit of a dark side to them now would you agree yeah I think you know we talk about it a lot now because so much of it is online and so much of it's kind of visible that way but actually this whole kind of like stan culture idea and this dark side of stan culture I think has always been there really like I remember in the McFly fandom like I say I was a huge stan and I was but I was also relatively chill about kind of like being the one at the front of shows and like being the one who loved them most and there are a lot of people who really weren't chill at all like I think back to that and I think of a lot of people who are very hostile very mean in ways that if that was happening now they'd very much be thought of as these like aggressive twitter stands so I think the habits and the practices have always been there it's just that it's so much more visible now actually Foz I wanted to ask um who was your favorite directioner oh yeah (laughs) um well it was Harry Styles I don't know why I did that (laughs) (laughs) I fully knew who was my favourite I was a Harry girl Um, Mm. and yeah I fully credit myself with like being able to see his greatness before the rest (laughs) of the world I feel like I was very much the same with McFly in the sense that like I always loved Tom even when he wasn't the most popular member because I was always just like you know he writes all the songs he's super talented and I feel like now the world has come around to realizing that I was on the right side of that history (laughs) oh my gosh that's such a that reminds me of when people are like back in the day when they'd be like oh Gary Barlow is my favorite take that member because he writes all the songs <laughs> I was very I think this comes back again to like wanting to be a music journalist from a very young age like I was very righteous about you know the people like oh they're the talent like oh you know the deep introspection of the lyricist like I was very serious about <laughs> that stuff and I would defend it pretty pretty fiercely yeah I think that's the thing with, with like the fierceness and aggression of fandom it is something as you were saying before is so much more visible now um and i was wondering is there are there any fandoms that you're like i don't want to touch them when i write about them it's like i'm too afraid of the backlash of the response yeah I don't think there's any fandoms that i'm like oh my gosh like i couldn't possibly say anything because I think everyone's got those people, you know, like even if it's not a ginormous band, there'll be someone out there who's got a problem with what you have to say about it. Like, so, you know, it's not always the fan, the fandom, sorry, that you think will give you the hardest time that do. Um, I think in terms of being a writer, I think if you really believe in what you're saying, you kind of can't get yourself into a situation where you fear too much what the backlash is going to be because I think if you're really fearing the backlash you maybe need to go back and ask yourself how fair what you're saying actually is or kind of why you're saying it so I have a bit of a rule with myself now and it is a 
quite a luxurious rule because obviously not everyone's privileged to get to just write about things that they absolutely love but if there's something that I'm not really feeling or like I actively dislike I tend not to take the commission in the first place because really I just think it's like it's just being a bit of a killjoy like I think if you really love a band and then you review their album and it disappoints you for whatever reason I think that that can be really interesting to read and to write about but I think if you just actively dislike something and kind of sticking the knife in just because you can feels a little bit like I don't know just not a great way to use your platform so yeah I tend to kind of adhere to the if you haven't got something nice to say rule most of the time unless the criticism that I have to give is something that I think is genuinely interesting for because it comes from like I suppose like I say a fan place initially like I think hanging on to that fan tendency is something that's really important in music criticism and making sure that when you do criticize things it is coming from a place of proper consideration um so yeah, that's a that's a very long-winded way <laughs> to say that I don't think there's anything I wouldn't, like I intentionally would go, oh, not that fandom or not this fandom. Um, I think K-pop like gets a particularly bad reputation for this. And I think lots of people would sort of answer that question by saying, oh, you know, I don't want to enrage the K-pop stands, but not to get too heavy too early. I think a lot of that is rooted in this kind of, racial and gendered and often ageist perception of what those stands look like um, and often I've had some very reasonable very intelligent conversations with people who would consider themselves k-pop stands but who are able to be objective and wouldn't dream of being you know abusive on the internet so I think there is a real danger in kind of tarring particular fandoms with the same brush especially when that grouping of fandoms is kind of racialized in that sense I think it can be quite problematic yeah I think that's a good point to make especially because I think so many western writers and stuff they're they're still so boggled about the whole like machinery of K-pop and J-pop totally so it's a sort of thing that i think they don't want to touch it because they really don't have the context to understand everything around it but i don't know what do you think is he about like ripping something to shreds like the hatchet job are you sort of like you know what it can be entertainment <laughs> it's so hard to say because I always struggle with that because I'm like, who am I to say? Like, I'm sure someone's out there that, you know, enjoys that kind of thing. Um, but I kind of do see what where the satisfaction could be in, in having a good old rant about something. But no, I, I do think mostly it should be pretty measured. Um, and it can come across a bit like maybe this should be on your Twitter instead of in a piece you know <laughs> I think that's it I think the rant itself definitely can be hugely satisfying but I think you need to think about whether that rant is kind of like suitable for conversation with like-minded friends as opposed to like putting out on a platform yeah I think if if it's like you know what I'd get some laughs for this if I said it down the pub with my mates <laughs> maybe it doesn't need to be like a 900 word piece <laughs> <laughs> exactly like I've written I've written stuff in the past that has ended up being you know quite snarky or quite mean but like those jokes are rarely as funny as you actually think they are like even if it sort of makes you laugh at the time like I guarantee if you leave it a couple of days and go back to it like it won't be that funny and again I think it's a bit of a social media thing where we're all trapped in the kind of desire to like have clout on Twitter and like say something funny and some people some people genuinely are just a lot funnier than I am and like their writing is a lot funnier than I'm capable of and I think there are ways to do it but for me personally I just feel like I need to be so confident in what I'm saying and then if you're that confident in what you're saying then the idea of someone disagreeing with you is kind of maybe less of a problem like if you really genuinely believe but if you don't it's maybe better to just kind of either leave it or find a way to I don't know I guess balance it with some more of the positives if you can 
we're just doing everything for clout all that i do (laughs) (laughs) so i can get more twitter followers you know what it's like though don't you like when you say something to a friend then you're like oh that was quite good i'll put that on twitter actually and then like you get 15 (laughs) likes in five seconds and you feel really good about yourself and then the next day you're like oh actually not sure i'd stand by that this is much better at twitter than i am i hardly ever tweet myself but izzy's very good at just like throwing out funny thoughts sort of thing yeah no no thoughts just vibes (laughs) for sure yeah i'm definitely tweeting into a void but hey (laughs) i give the people what they want (laughs) my my 200 followers i give them what they want (laughs) if we wrap it up (laughs) don't worry thank you thanks thanks Um, so I wanted to ask about how music journalism has changed. And I think, you know, people in the, have referenced this kind of golden age of music journalism. Um, how do you think it's changed? And do you think the changes that be made, you know, kind of less talk about writing about vendors all these musicians are on? Do you think this is like a necessary and positive change that creates a better dynamic for music journalism? Mm. It's a very interesting one that because I feel like the golden age thing is very very in keeping with just our human nature to always assume that things were better in our day you know Um, and to some degree like I can see the truth in that you know I really miss a time when there was loads of weekly magazines to choose from like I miss that kind of reverence for print but then I also don't really subscribe to the idea that print is completely dead or that you know digital is bad or anything like that I think it's all balance it's all adjusting to the way things are um, now and kind of accepting that technology and the way we consume music has changed so much that the knock-on effects for music journalism were kind of bound to happen in a sense but I do think the point about like rock star benders and I suppose like PR interjection is a really interesting one because I do think that you know as someone who started writing quite young 16 as a as a woman as a woman of colour um there were certain aspects of music journalism that you know are quite intimidating like getting you know the train on your own to a late night gig not knowing how you're going to get home like being invited onto tour buses with all male groups that are much older than you to do interviews like lots of that stuff is the stuff that people really romanticize and it can be really fun but I think also you know, given the Me Too movement and given how much we now understand the need for kind of safeguarding, I mean, I should say we always needed safeguarding, but I guess the awareness around it now, I do think that PR presence and slightly more controlled environments can be a good thing in terms of making the industry more inclusive and more attractive to people who maybe, you know, do have to think about their safety in ways that I suppose are kind of controlled by some of the wider social problems that need addressing so I don't think it's always bad like I think there are still ways to be creative with it and to kind of strike up rapport with artists in a way that you can get that really genuine interaction but I do think it is also really important to remember that it is a job so like lots of people I think still kind of get into music journalism slightly for the wrong reasons because they think that you know it's going to be a way to befriend loads of bands and and sort of infiltrate that space and it kind of can be as a nice byproduct of it like there's definitely bands that I know and have met and I feel like we get on well but I don't think that necessarily equates to friendship all the time and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing so I don't think the golden age is over. I think just maybe we're having to think about how we work in different ways um, that make it, like I say, more inclusive, safer, more like a job. Um, And that sounds really dull to say more like a job, but I think it just encourages respect on both sides, really, that ultimately is quite mutually beneficial. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really interesting to point out that kind of relationship there between um you know the art the artists and the, and the writers um do you feel like 
that 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 relationship has has changed as well and you know you know comments like Lizzo saying you know that uh if you're if you don't if you're not a musician yourself you shouldn't review music do you think this kind of relationship has broken down a bit and is a bit more uh has a bit more tension yeah I think the Lizzo comments were a bit stupid if I'm being honest but that's <laughs> but that said still I do un- I still love Lizzo and I completely understand the place of frustration that that comment would come from so I don't agree with the sentiment but I do understand the frustration I think it must be difficult when you pour your heart into something that you feel like people haven't understood and I think that goes back to my point about, you know, when you are going to criticise something, making sure it comes from a place of real, like, information and nuance. Because I feel like lots of the people who did criticise Lizzo, the things they were criticising her on were a bit left field and weren't very informed. So I could definitely get her frustration in that sense. Um, but I think in the wider kind of question of, like, artists nowadays I think there is a bit more general suspicion towards journalists I think you know not to use the phrase cancel culture because I'm not really sure how I feel about that in terms of yeah here we go I feel like that it's a pretty it's a pretty contentious term when I think when people use cancel culture I think a lot of the times they just mean accountability culture but I do think that sort of fear of oh no, if I say something silly, I'll be trending on Twitter for three days. Um, You can feel that from artists. And I do think it makes some of them hold back a little bit more or maybe think about what they're revealing a little bit more consciously. Um, So sometimes you do have to work a little bit harder to kind of convince people that you're not trying to catch them out, I suppose. Um, Try and convince them that you're not just there digging for the quick quotes that you can use as clickbait but I think again that comes back to you know carving out a path of integrity for yourself interviewing people you're genuinely interested in um, and doing your research so that you're not asking them questions that are you know kind of disrespectful or come from a place of ignorance really like you should absolutely go into interviews prepared to ask something that offers insight but that also you have a suitable follow-up if that person isn't comfortable because ultimately like it's a conversation between two people and if someone doesn't really want to answer something like on a human level they have a right not to answer that and I think we do get it a bit twisted sometimes especially with artists who are quite generous in their lyrics that they should also be generous in every conversation that they have and I don't think that's always the case um I think we mentioned before didn't we about St Vincent um which I think is a pretty interesting one yeah so with the St Vincent thing that's um how like earlier in the year with when daddy's home um was coming out and she's doing like the press tour for that um she had an awkward interview I read the transcript for it like it wasn't that from like an outsider's point of view that terrible it was just like oh yeah you know points attention whatever um but then the following day she like asked for it to be pulled um yeah and that started a whole conversation yeah what do you think about that yeah I had I had lots of thoughts about that because I I saw it I saw it all kicking off on Twitter at the time as I'm sure lots of people did um and St Vincent is kind of known at this point for being potentially kind of tricky to interview um and my personal thought to be honest was that not to say that the writer was necessarily doing it for clout because I think that would be a bit unfair but I do think it was maybe not as much of a serve as the writer thought it was. Like I've been, I've been in that position where interviews haven't gone as well as you'd like or pieces have maybe been canned. But again, I think you do have to remember that there's a person at the other end of it. And whilst it might've been frustrating that St. Vincent didn't like the way it went and, and pulled it, I think you do have to kind of respect their right to do that, even if it's so intensely frustrating. And I kind of felt like putting it up online anyway was 
I don't know, it sat a bit weirdly with me and I don't know if that just says something about how brave or not brave I am, but I don't think it necessarily revealed anything that like desperately needed to be revealed personally. Um, but I'm aware that's probably a bit of a controversial <laughs> take. Don't bite your tongue, love. That's the whole point. Of it. Don't bite your tongue. No, like, yeah. If that was you guys, if you guys had a bit of an awkward interview, but whatever, and then your editor told you, oh, the interviewee wants to pull it, would you ever, in like what situation would you have ever like published the transcript independently on like your Twitter if you would have ever done that? Hmm. I think the only like and I mean again I'm aware that I'm sat here like very virtuously like no I would never but I think the only the only grounds that I would have for something like that is if someone like admitted to something that like needed some kind of like real you know criminal investigation or like something that really needed yeah. to like be looked into for someone's well-being but I just think with that particular interview like it was quite clear that she was uncomfortable quite early on and the interviewer did keep pushing the point. And I think there is a time and a place for that. Like, obviously you shouldn't be completely passive in an interview. Like you should challenge your interviewees, but like, I do think you also need to know when to let it go. And mm. I don't know, I sort of felt like there was just an air of not really letting it go in the way that I'm kind of not surprised that St. Vincent got a bit irritated. Whereas Izzy would have shared it to all of her <laughs> 200 followers for the cloud. <laughs> yeah, that'd be viral in seconds. It would. <laughs> no, I agree. I think I'd only do it if it was like an actual crime being admitted to. I, I don't think it's... Yeah, I think it just kind of looks a bit weird on you, doesn't it? Because um, you'd want it to you'd want it to go viral, right? Imagine it just got like a couple retweets. That'd be so embarrassing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I like I don't I don't know the writer. I have no idea of their intentions, like good or good or otherwise. Like, I completely understand the frustration of having something canned, and I guess sharing it came from that frustration of like, oh, you know, I've done all this work, and they've just got it shot mm. down just like that. Like, I totally understand that, but I guess yeah. I guess I'd just be quite interested in what, if anything, like they felt it achieved. Like, they might actually be really satisfied with how it went, and that would be super fascinating. Maybe they can be a future guest. <laughs> Sorted. Added to the list. No, I think, <laughs> as we've, like, already mentioned, um, there's this very weird relationship between music journalism and the internet now. And we've sort of, yeah for want of a better phrase we move past that golden age of like you know a, a scene in almost famous <laughs> appearing to be like the way of music journalism and you know there's not as much emphasis on like the long form rolling stone pieces sort of thing um it's now having to do like daily articles about the next hottest thing about the new pop star of the month um and we just have like such a saturation of content. Um, I was just wondering what you thought, Janessa, about like music journalism in the digital age, especially because, you know, you've gone from blogging, you know, like very much the infancy of the internet sort of thing when it was still finding its feet when Twitter, you know, was a very like wholesome place. <laughs> yeah. What are your thoughts on it? I'm not sure Twitter was ever a wholesome place, you know. I'm not sure. I have hope. I look back with rose-tinted spectacles. Yeah, I mean, I remember using it like it was a wholesome place. Um, but I don't know, I think, again, like, the next big thing idea can definitely get a bit fatiguing, but... I don't think that's new either. Like, if you look back at the enemies of, you know, the 90s and the early noughties, like, it's coming out every week and every week was a new cover artist that they were declaring, like, absolutely essential to your very existence. So I think that hyperbole in music journalism has always been there and is kind of part of what drives excitement. So I don't think that in its essence is a bad thing. Um, 
I think like having more options than ever is quite exciting and actually maybe makes music journalism more relevant now than it ever was in the sense that when we've all got so much choice and you know so many Spotify recommendations and so many algorithms and so many like listen to this now know this know this know this um actually having people to like guide you through it and offer curated recommendations is maybe even more important now than it ever used to be so I don't think it's all doom and gloom necessarily I mean I would say that you know I work in this space but I think it can be quite exciting actually how fast-paced everything is I think on the artist side of things it must be incredibly frustrating and I'm frustrated too when artists that I really love maybe aren't given the time that they used to be able to like incubate an album and really get a go at like a full-on campaign before they then get usurped for the next big thing I think that can be very frustrating but as an actual writer I think being in such an abundance of stuff to write about is really really cool. Sure I always think about like imagine if I had to the only way I could like consume new music was by having to like save up my money and buy a record in a store based off like whether I like the cover art sort of thing or having to like buy a magazine and read the reviews and like take the chance and then playing it and like hating it <laughs> and I'm like wow now I've got to wait till next month to like buy my next vinyl whereas now like yeah I think it's a huge privilege to be able to just like click on my phone and I could listen to dozens of new albums a day yeah how do you find the the actual choice fatigue though like do you feel do you find it overwhelming like not knowing what to listen to or trying to keep up on top of everything that's new out um yeah I, I do but you know what I kind of let Spotify do do it all for me at the moment which is really bad yeah. I feel like I should have my own my own way of thinking um but no yeah it definitely definitely is tricky and I feel like you have a list of 20 albums in your head at once to to listen to and it's so hard to get around to them all isn't it mm. and then by the time you've done that you've got another list of 20 um but I, I do try and like see the joy in that and that there's always like an, an, a new a new thing that I can listen to and hopefully um you know find really satisfying and, and nice to listen to so it's 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 maybe more stressful but I think definitely a joy yeah yeah I think you pick your lane a bit as well as a writer so like I am very much one of those annoying people who says oh yeah listen to a bit of everything and I do but in terms of writing like I'm really enjoying covering this big pop punk resurgence at the moment so like a lot of my headspace is in is in that realm um or like looking at British hip hop, that's something I'm doing a lot of at the moment. So I think like anything, you go through your own personal little little phases mm. and, and focused interest, depending on what's really, really kind of grabbing you in the moment. Who are your favorites yeah. at the moment, both of you? Oh. Listening to. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a, that's that's the on that is the definitive on the spot question, isn't it? Um <laughs> So I, like everyone in the entire world, really like the Olivia Rodrigo album. I was a little bit mean about it in yeah. my review. I was, yeah. but, but again, I will stand by the fact that my little bit of meanness came from a real place of love. So like my singular, my real frustration with that album, and it was kind of like a light frustration, was the fact that lyrically it's just a little bit samey. Um, and I completely understand why it is that way but I said what I said I I still stand by what I said but I think it's great I think it's really really good um, so I like her a lot I like the Willow stuff that's coming out a lot that's very strong pop punk vibes and I think again as a as a um, mixed race girl like that's something that is huge for me like when I was going through my massive emo phase as a teenager if there if there had been someone who looked like me that just would have been massive so I'm really excited to see everything she's doing um who else oh the new Wolf Alice record is just impeccable impeccable chef's kiss. serious <laughs> chef's kiss when I think of Izzy, I think more like Lil Sims with you, Izzy. That's yeah. Thing. 
yeah i'm very excited for the new release in september oh man it's so good it's so good <laughs> yeah I'm I, probably, really... I probably shouldn't be saying that should i but like I it's mean... really good <laughs> yeah i was like oh my god has someone had a little sneak listen Hello. <laughs> just a just a wee one. Oh my god amazing it's so you jealous gotta get on a list you need to <laughs> yeah i need to do my homework what's going on yeah it's I mean she's one of my absolute favorites like someone I've been really lucky to speak to a few times she's completely delightful um and yeah the record's brilliant she's super nice and I think she's always a really lovely person to speak to because she is very aware of her own boundaries and her own privacy and I think Mm. it's a really great example of someone that you can talk to who does kind of protect those things quite safely and, you know, there are certain bits you can challenge on, but, like, ultimately, like I said, you don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. Like, mm. I think I think music journalism is really important, and I, th- I take what I do very seriously, but I also remember that it's quite rare that you ever have to, like, pin someone down on something, like, truly, like, indicting. You know, we're not... Music obviously intersects with politics a lot, but like we're not dealing with politicians. You don't actually need to like wrestle an unpleasant answer out of a musician. Mm. And I think remembering that is is quite good for, I suppose, not getting yourself in a place where you're pissing people off. Mm. So no, I I always love talking to Sims for that because like I said, she's always super clear what she wants to talk about and what she doesn't. And it just makes for a really nice, enjoyable conversation where everyone feels respected and and you focus on the things that the artist wants to focus on. And I don't think that's being like, you know, sycophantic or anything. I just think if you focus on the things that they're interested in, you're just going to get more interesting answers. Right. Has there been um, a favourite person that you've interviewed or something that you found like really revealing or memorable? Mm, Interesting. I think whenever anyone asks me this, the one I always come back to was um, Kevin Parker, so Tame Impala. And I think that one, (laughs) I think that one for me was just quite special because it was for DIY, the cover of DIY. really early last year is that right I've lost all sense of time um yeah January January 2020 um and I think that one just felt really special because it was kind of the first time anyone trusted me to do like a really big thing because I mean like Taming Parlor's big right so that was very much the very traditional like go to interview them at the hotel it's very serious there's like set set times and set blocks and I was so so nervous about it um but he was great and super nice and super chill and like probably actually one of the most self not even self-deprecating but just like everything I asked him he was just like yeah it's all right so I was like what's headlining Coachella like and he was like yeah it was cool I'm like what's meeting Kanye like (laughs) yeah he's all right and it was just again like a really nice reminder that you are just talking to people like Mm. obviously very impressive very cool people who've done amazing things but like you are just having a conversation with another human being and the actual really interesting things about that chat were less about what he'd achieved career-wise and more about him as a person like we found that we kind of had a lot in common weirdly with like introversion and finding the same things kind of uncomfortable and weird so it was like I pretty much a nobody I'm sat talking to this very very famous person we've got loads in common so that Mm. was really nice um And I think another one I always come back to is an interview I did again last year with Moses Sumney for Gold Flake Paint magazine, which is a really incredible um, independent print magazine. And basically I was super lucky because he was like curating the issue, but I was such an enormous fan of his record. Like it was my favorite thing released last year for sure. And they just let me have completely free reign for like two hours on Zoom. And I just asked him about every song on the record. And we did like a bit of a track by track. Um, oh, wow. 
And that was just, it doesn't happen very often that you're given that much access and kind of that much space to just really, really delve into a record. But that was just the most satisfying moment of being a fan and just asking like every possible question that you wanted to know the answer to. And I think it turned out quite well as a piece. Um, but like as a real personal thing, that was just a super satisfying moment of like, yeah, this is why I do this. Like just to nerd out with people whose work you really love. Like it's just cool, isn't it? And then you get paid at the end and you're like, what? This is the best job ever. Oh so, goodness. so yeah, that was nice. I love that. Yeah, that's amazing. Much. I mean, so you've already interviewed some of mine and Izzy's absolute faves. Like, as we said, like Lil Sims, for me, I think people like, Aluna from Aluna George yeah and you get to interview them but like same question to Izzy as well who is on your dream list to interview now <laughs> who would you love to tick off and like get two hours on a zoom or like two hours in a hotel room with oh my Ooh, god. that sounds a bit dodge <laughs> Izzy, Izzy was just like oh my god I <laughs> Safeguarding, of course, all above board. No, yeah, who's on your dream list to interview? Mm. Oh, Izzy, do you want to go first? I need to think about yeah, this. Yeah, God, I'm thinking. I, you know what? Um, maybe like really randomly, like Ariana Grande. Oh yeah. Okay, go ahead. Wait, explain yourself. Well, it's. It's tricky because I, I, I've watched her interviews before and she takes quite a long time to get into them. Like even like mm. the sound of her voice changes and I just think she's quite a, like an interesting character in that sense. Like you can tell she's a bit, I don't know if she's anxious, but shy at least in, in some ways. Um, and I, I'd like to be able to kind of get, get like get through that and, you know, get into the, the, good, the good little chats and I don't know talk like I don't know I thought it would be best pals by the end of it so <laughs> oh my god um, alright yeah. yeah I know she just seems like she has like a really good sense of humour um, and I don't know she just has this nice kind of innocence to her that I think is really uh, yeah would be would be cool to talk about stuff yeah I love that you want to challenge with the interview like you want to sort of chip away at them until you know they reveal the center sort of thing mm. I, I admire you for that I'm like well, <laughs> thank you I just, thank I just you. want an easy interview <laughs> I don't want someone <laughs> who's extroverted and will write the thing for me basically <laughs> but no I think that's a good shout with Ariana I back that I back that what about you Tess have you yeah, I've been thinking while you were talking. I mean, I also would happily volunteer to speak to Ariana Grande. She is she is a personal fave. Um, I think Little Mix is one for me that I would really love. I would really, really love to interview Little Mix about actual music <laughs> because I feel like so much, so much of the press they do is this very like, and I know it's not coming from them. It's just, you know, the thing that kind of tends to happen with pop groups, but like, it's very like, top level stuff and you know they write their own songs like they're super super involved in it I'd really like to hear more about that um I'd really like to interview Harry Styles obviously for for many <laughs> for many clear reasons um and I think also like I mean my nerves would not be up to it whatsoever in any capacity so I don't think I would actually want this to happen like really but I think the absolute like pinnacle dream where I would just give up everything forevermore after that would be to do like a double interview with Beyonce and Solange just at once. Oh, just like wow. full, imagine like full family affair, just like both of them in the same room, just hearing about their <laughs> life. Like that would just be, that would be my absolute pinnacle of life and existence for sure. I can't believe oh, you just yes. threw that out there. Um, yeah. Just like a... Beyonce and Solange I think they'd also be so good because they vibe together so well like their relationship I love seeing it in the like so much tiny glimpses mm. that we get like their Coachella performance <laughs> of like when Solange runs on stage and they're on stage and I loved that dance routine amazing I got yeah. it incredible and so to <laughs> interview them I think 
it would be such a good dynamic to like peep into yeah I find I find like full band interviews can be a bit stressful sometimes because there's naturally like someone who speaks more or someone who doesn't speak more or like just lots of different voices going on but I think if you can get two people together who really know each other well like that often makes for a super interesting dynamic I do quite like doing like duo interviews but yeah, that yeah. is honestly the dream. <laughs> Solange and Beyonce just chatting, just chewing the fat with them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just want to know what it's just like to be like sisters in that way. So I don't have a sister and I just feel like I'd really like to know more about that kind of sisterly dynamic. And I feel like mm. I'm quite comfortable in saying it because I know so clearly that it will never happen. So it's like, I can put it out there. It's fine. Like if someone actually offered that to me, I think I would die on the spot. <laughs> It'd be awful. I'm rooting for you. We're going to make it happen. We're <laughs> yeah, we're going to manifest it. Here. Yeah. We'll Absolutely. take a moment now to manifest. It's happen. <laughs> Manifested. <laughs> um, so I think we talked about it kind of briefly earlier. Well, I said, you know, I struggle with the idea of um, authority, I guess, um, in within like music criticism. So how did you kind of build... Was there kind of a journey with you building up your confidence in, you know, having an opinion on music and an insight? Or have you always felt like, you know, you know what, no, like I have something to say and I am allowed to say it kind of thing? Yeah, I think I think it's kind of gone in reverse. I think when I was a, a 14 year old blogger, you know, I think I was saying anything and everything. Like, I think if that had been me now, like, I'd have been cancelled about 20 times. Not for not for saying anything, like, actually wrong or offensive or anything, but, like, I was very big on my opinions and I didn't care then about being snarky and about being mean. Um, and I do think... I do think I've gotten more considered over the years and I think I think a lot more about where what I'm saying comes from and whether, like I was saying before, you know, whether it comes from a place of really genuinely trying to understand where an artist was coming from or if I do just feel a bit mean that day. And I think if it's the latter, I do try and like rein that in a bit more. Um, and I guess some of that comes from like, not wanting to upset people, you know, not trusting that I'm right if I'm going against like the popular opinion or anything. But I think the more you practice and the more you realise that actually, you know, it is all subjective, like all of it's subjective. Um, you know, you can absolutely love something and there'll still be someone out there who thinks it's trash and vice versa. And I think once mm. you do start to remember that a bit more you do get more comfortable in expressing your own opinion um and I think also like the thing I always try to do which isn't always possible because sometimes you're asked to do things on very tight deadline but like I do try and write things finish it and then let it sit for at least a couple of days before I send it off and kind of commit to the idea out in the world and I think that can be really useful too um not to sound like anyone's mum but I think like doing what you can to not leave stuff till the last minute so that you've got proper space to really think about what you're saying is always really useful for ultimately building that confidence and that conviction in what you're saying. I really admire that. I, yeah, I think that it is, you've just got to really sort of build that conviction, as you say. And I think it's something that really comes across in your writing as well of like, how passionate you are about music but how not pretentious you are and like you know that realization that you're speaking to an artist someone who's crafted so and yeah I think that you have such a great approach to your music writing and how you speak about it is really incredible but forgetting all that I do have <laughs> the most important question to ask you <laughs> if you had your own fandom what would your stands be called <laughs> oh man that is that is a very important question do you yeah. know I think I need to pinch that actually and like take that to every interview be like if you're going to rename your stands what would you call them because like stand names normally just get invented by the standum don't they really yeah mm. um what would I have oh 
I mean, my surname's Williams, obviously, and I feel like that's a no-go because, like, that's <laughs> that's not good, is it? Um, so no, so it'd have to be something with Janessa. I don't know. Maybe it could be something of, like, with the Ness part. Yeah. Bear with me. Go on. You're, <laughs> you're brewing up an idea. I can feel it. <laughs> like, you know how Lady Gaga has her monsters? Yeah. And then, like, there's the Loch Ness. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. <laughs> Sold. Nailed. Killed I could, it. I could feel Izzy's eye roll then. Of being like, <laughs> what is she saying? <laughs> so, I don't know. But then if you called them something like the Nessies, it would just remind me, you know, that Twilight scene where like Bella's like, you named my daughter after the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, for like, sure. That would be like a fandom meme of yours. Yeah. I've got a thing, I've got to think about this. I like I like the Loch Ness Monster concept. I think we can we can workshop that for sure. Yeah, there's something in that for sure. Yeah. What would you guys have? Oh god! Is he? Is he surely there's something? Well, I think because my last name's Gray, so I feel like there's something there. Like, yeah. I mean, maybe if I was like a a very mellow artist, you know, very kind of sad and. That's <laughs> and gray. You know, you could really have, like, yeah, you could have like the gray scales. Yeah. <laughs> I what, but isn't that like in Game of Thrones when they have when they get gray scale? Oh, like that would get oh my god yeah that disease they have on their skin oh okay yeah oh nasty but that's like, you know a little cultural reference you know yeah but then they'd come to your concert with like that oh my god makeup on yeah distracting oh you love it i know i like it it's a visual it's a visual yeah. it's putting I have... the fandom to life I have no idea what either of you talk- are talking about. I've never seen Game of Thrones. Uh, <laughs> for, as, for as much as for as much as I'm up on music culture, like my TV knowledge is is weak. Basically, <laughs> Izzy wants all of her fans to be peeling oh. off their skin <laughs> in these great right. scabs. That's what she. Wants. That is so unfair, folks, and you know it. Nice. <laughs> I think Izzy, with you on it, because you tend. One of your phrases to me is like spill the thesis sort of thing of like, you know, sit sit. <laughs> and I remember you used to do sessions with our student net newspaper of like catching up with people of Earl Grey with yeah. Lizzie Grey. Where oh, nice. Like a cuppa. So I feel like there's got to be something in that of like, I don't know. <laughs> Tea bags. <laughs> oh my God, no. <laughs> the tea bags. Oh God. Honestly, I'll take it. It'd just be the Earls, wouldn't they? The Earls. Oh, that's kind of cute. That's nicer. Yeah, that's cute. We can work. What about you, Foz? So, I guess the obvious thing with Foz is the link to Fozzie Bear from the Muppets coming to Frog's Bestie. That's cute, Um, yeah. So, either my stance would be like the Fozzie Bears, or I would be the Fozzie Bear and they'd all be the Muppets. And I, just, yeah. I, would, I would call them my Muppets. <laughs> oh my god. It doesn't feel very endearing, does it, somehow? I, mm. I, I could make it. I could put a spin on it of like, oh, you silly Muppets. What well, you yeah, like? you just have to be within the fandom to understand it's a term of endearment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're not in the fandom, you don't. If you know, it. you know. <laughs> if you know, you know. Um, but yeah, I don't think anything else sort of blends itself with Foz um so yeah I think I'm sort of stuck within the Muppet realm yeah yeah go for it I like this I mean clearly all three of us are really like growing these enormous fandoms so you know it's very it's very pressing (laughs) stuff you know (laughs) yeah I I don't know if you've heard but you know (laughs) pretty happening over on my twitter so <laughs> do, do, journal, do journalists have fandoms is that a thing like at what point oh do you cross God, over into being you know like a proper celebrity in your own right oh my i, I don't it's know. definitely a thing tell us when you find out mm. oh i hope <laughs> I, ne- I hope i never do yeah i think you're a bit further along than we are <laughs> yeah 
I hope I never find out like I I love my job I love doing what I do and it's always really nice when people you know read stuff and like stuff and share stuff but the idea of people like on mass like knowing what I've thought about something is a bit scary like I'm quite comfortable with yeah. where I'm at right now yeah mm. yeah, yeah I and that. I don't think I want to live in a world where Izzy has a bunch of people following her herself <laughs> dippy bags I don't believe in that reality. No, no, thank you. No, thank you. But um, I think that sort of brings us to the end of our time together, which is sad, but we do have a final question for you, um, which is the one that we ask everyone, which is, is there a time where you've regretted biting your tongue in the past? And what would you like to bite your tongue less on in the future? Oh, the the flagship question. Mm. <laughs> um, I don't think so. Like, I think I do a pretty good job of, you know, advocating for myself and advocating for what I need to, like, do a good job as a writer when it comes to, you know, getting enough time and, and having reasonable deadlines and, you know, speaking up if an interviewee has, you know, been, been difficult in ways that can be easily solved. Um, but... To be honest, like, I don't think music journalism is normally that combative. Like, I think I've been quite lucky in the sense that when I was younger, you know, there were a few little instances with with all male bands who maybe like said something a bit dodgy that maybe I could have, you know, spoken up against or things like that. But on the whole, it's been a pretty positive experience. Um, and I think for the most part with the actual writing if you're, if you're telling a truthful story and you're telling a story that, that fundamentally comes from a place of interest, like there's normally a way to do it in a way where you can be honest, but also not, you know, deeply offensive to the person who's made the art. So I know that sounds very like, oh, you know, SpongeBob, sunshine and rainbows, but it's honestly like, it's an, a pretty enjoyable job. Like I say, it doesn't, it can get heavy and you know sometimes you are speaking to people about very personal things or very emotional work and that can be a real privilege in and of itself but like for the most part it's kind of just entertainment you know and I don't say just in a bad way like I think it's a really good thing I think the last year has kind of shown us how much we need nice positive um or not even positive but like just spaces of kind of distraction and catharsis and music's really great for that so yeah I think it's just pretty fun like I'll definitely I definitely feel comfortable in speaking up for myself when I need to but I can't really think of anything where I like regret it or where like something went really bad I think that's a lovely positive note <laughs> yeah sunshine but thank you so much for joining us and for yeah chatting no thank you it's been fun so that was our episode with Janessa we hope you really enjoyed it um we'd love to hear what your fandoms would be called as well because I think that's a conversation that needs to be had on the internet (laughs) it's actually one of my favorite questions that we asked throughout the whole series yeah it's such a goodie and it's yeah and just yeah what was your um who did you stand when you were younger? Were you a directioner like Fox? Um, you want to know? Solidarity to my fellow directioners. <laughs> we are still as one. Um, <laughs> did you cry when Zayn left? No. Okay. <laughs> That's. <Wow. laughs> you know what? I I will bite my tongue on this. I Ooh. I am not gonna say <gasps> anything. Okay. Well. I'm, yeah, I'm not gonna spill the tea, but just know that I'm a I'm a sipping. Right. Um, there we go then. What, why am what's... I why am I talking as if like I'm still a spokesperson of the One Direction community? <laughs> I think you could dip your toe back in if you wanted to. I don't know if my foot ever left the waters, to be honest, is there it? We go, then. I mean yeah, still a Harry girl, isn't I? So Absolutely. It, it never leaves you. It never no, leaves it you. Doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> Once you're, yeah, you know, completely scarred by those sorts of experiences, there's no turning back. No turning back. And that's but, what makes you beautiful. 
At the mics. Dead yeah, ass. Okay, that's <laughs> I don't I don't want to hear you say jokes like that. Your face was so impressed with that. But yeah, no, I really enjoyed that episode with Janessa. Yeah. Um, I hope that the listeners did as well. And yeah, if we can start calling fans of the podcast tea bags because <laughs> obviously they're all here for Izzy. Um Obvi and my Twitter. I would be, and your Twitter. I would be <laughs> so grateful yeah let's do it (laughs) let's do it i'm ready for it love it okay see you next time Bye. bye this episode was brought to you by gals and journalism and you can find us on instagram and facebook our show notes and transcriptions are on our website www.galsandjournalism.com this episode was produced by foz and edited by isabel Our music is an instrumental version of Search Lean Gang by Tranny Boy. Tranny Boy is the abolitionist, queer, Afrofuturist, hyperpop brainchild of Jawlift Seville. As Tranny Boy, he celebrates the multiplicity of black queer disabled existence by transforming what is frightening, mania, trans homelessness, trauma, the immense difficulty of being a black working artist, and making it an expression of joy. Our logo was designed by Megan Shepherd, who also designed the Galson Journalism logo. We'd also like to shout out to City Ventures for supporting this podcast.